Hey, family. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. We work incredibly hard to identify guests who will help you move forward on your healing journey. So if you are blessed by today's episode, I would love for you to take a moment to subscribe and leave a five-star review. This will help us to reach more people and get this important message of healing out to the world. Thank you in advance for your support and enjoy today's episode. Hey family, it's your sister Jocelyn here and welcome to another episode of Faith on the Journey. If this is your first time tuning in, we welcome you. We're so glad that you are here and want you to know that we are a community to help strengthen your faith, heal your heart, and discover that you're not alone on your healing journey. And we do this by providing you with a number of resources, including Christian counselors who specialize in Bible-based trauma-informed care. We also provide trauma healing groups throughout the year where you can connect with other believers in a small group Bible study to help you to heal from trauma. You can learn about these resources and so much more by visiting our website at faithonthejourney.org. Again, that's faithonthejourney.org. Now I'm excited to bring to the show a dear friend of mine who is an amazing man of God, Brother Tony Lawler, who I like to call him the evangelist or the, the connector because he's someone who loves people. He's a parent, an advocate, an entrepreneur, and an overcomer. And these are just a few words to describe this man of God. Tony is the oldest of five children and was raised by a single mother. At the age of 13, Tony and his siblings were placed in foster care. And despite having an unstable childhood, Tony was able to excel in school, earned a full ride through DCFS scholarship to the University of Illinois, and he's earned his master's degree from Wheaton College. Tony began focusing his energy on starting several nonprofits that focus on parent advocacy organizations looking to reform child welfare systems. He's the co-founder of several nonprofits. I'll be here all day talking about them, but he'll be here to tell you more about that. But let's bring him on the show. I want you to meet this amazing man. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Tony. Why, thank you, Jocelyn. I appreciate it. And uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to, to be here and a part of this faith on the journey walk. Uh, so I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yes. Well, I appreciate you accepting the invitation and I want the world to know about your story. And so let's start by just exploring your life in childhood. I read a little bit about that in your bio, but let's talk about what was life like for you growing up? Yeah, unfortunately, life for me growing up was really tough in that I don't have a lot of positive memories, unfortunately. But again, I can tell you that that life growing up really helped to shape me and develop me to who I am. Uh, as a child, you know, I I was um, my mom had me at a tender age of uh, 15. Um, uh, she was 15 when she was pregnant and had me at uh, the age of 16. And so I just remember my childhood growing up was really tough. Uh, I was left home a lot and um, to look after my younger siblings. Um, we didn't we never went on a family vacation that I can remember. And we pretty much just struggled. My mom. I was in and out of different relationships uh, as, as again, just growing up. And so there was often times that, again, she left or we'd be gone for a long period of time. So my memories are um, very vague in the sense that I, I just, unless it was family members or friends that, family members that came by and 
and, you know, invited us out or did stuff. That's, you know, our life was just in the house um, and going to school. So not much I could really say about my immediate childhood as a, as a young kid. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you had your fair share of challenges. And as you look back as an adult, how did the environment that you grew up in, how did that impact you as a child, adolescent, even into your young adult years? Yeah, I would say um, that the the things that happened to me in life, and I, and I look at that probably from the it shaped me based on like my mom and how she grew up. So some of the things that happened to her, I noticed was sort of like a repeat cycle, um, like generation thing. So I know we'll get into that a little later, but just uh, the environments that I grew up in, I, I was in the living on the South side of Chicago uh, when I grew up as a young kid. And then at one point, my mom, while it was just me and my younger two brothers, I know that um, we lived up, we lived on the north side for just a, a short period of time. Uh, but at that point, she was with my father. They were in an abusive relationship. Uh, I don't remember a lot about that because I was young. But eventually, we ended up moving with some family friends uh, and that kind of took us in to help my mom sort of establish herself. So I just remember moving a lot. I remember just not being in one place you know, for a long period of time. I, I do remember not getting a lot of affection when I was growing up. So because it was me and then my brothers immediately after, and at some point my mom, uh, about five, you know, some years later had two more children. So again, that's where we came with a total of five. By the time my mom was 22, she had five boys. And so I, again, I didn't get a lot of attention. I, I was really made to look after my younger siblings a lot growing up. And the environments that we moved in uh, were uh, mostly high crime, violent, drug uh, infested neighborhoods. And and at one point, my mom and my stepfather, the father of my youngest two brothers, uh, they succumbed to to be becoming drug addicts. And that really, again, even further um, exposed us to uh, neglect and and also abuse uh, in some sense. And so that shaped a lot because we were known, you know, our parents were known as the parents that were on drugs. Um, a lot of people knew that my stepfather abused my mom. Um, most folks knew that, you know, my mom wasn't educated. She dropped out of high school. And so these things really kind of um, determined, uh, I guess, what shaped me. So how how that, how that worked is I, in my head, I, I decided to use a tactic like a survival mode. So for me, I went into survival mode. I literally would um, try to do whatever I could to sustain my emotions and to help me sort of survive in this world that we lived in. So I would wake up, I mean, at the age of 12, I would wake up in the morning and go deliver newspapers, even though it was a, a, you know, a rough neighborhood, but I'd deliver newspapers in the morning then I would go to school and after school, I played football. So I went to football practice and after football practice, I went and worked at the local grocery store. Uh, and I did that until about 9 p.m. when it closed. And then I did that cycle over and over uh, for like two years in, in elementary school. And eventually we went into foster care. So I know we'll talk about that. But yeah, just 
just shaped me in that sense of going into survival mode. I just wanted to do what I could do to help. I, I, I said I wanted to help out, right, right? So I wanted to take care of myself so that my parents didn't have to take care of me. I guess I thought that that would lighten their load, but I also did not want to be like them. So anything that they did, I did opposite. So drug use, alcohol use, anything that they did, I said, I don't want to do it because I didn't want to be like them. That was my survival mechanism growing up. Well, I'm, I'm glad you chose that route uh, to not follow in their footsteps. But let me ask, I'm, I'm curious, did you find yourself struggling with any uh, negative emotions towards your parents for the decisions that they made? Yeah, uh, that was something that was even brought out in my DCFS files later in life. Uh, so, uh, and I'll tell you about that case uh, in a little bit, but but it was pointed out that when I was 14, they dug back in my, when I was age 35, I had an incident with DCFS, but, but they looked back into my files and they said, oh, we noticed when you were 14, you were very angry and, and so forth. And so it, it prompted this trigger right? To have me look back at what was going on in my life. And again, I mentioned that my mom was on drugs and stepfather was abusive. My father was abuse, you know, abusive to my mom and all of these things. So my, my emotions towards my folks, father, stepfather, my, my father was absent, right? So he wasn't really, I don't even remember him uh, at all growing up. Um, and then I remember being a, in high school, when I had to move with my grandmother because I was in foster care bouncing around, my father approached me one day and was like, hey, can I get 20 bucks from you? And I looked at him and was like, man, you you never gave any money in my entire life. You should be taking care of me and you're asking me for 20 bucks. But that was because he had a drug habit that he wanted to um, uh, supply, you know, to. So, uh, but what I'm saying is that my emotions to my father was like, you, you know, never did anything in my life. My stepfather was just abusive. He hated me. Uh, he was also very aggressive towards me. Uh, and then my mom, I, 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 there was a period of time in my life uh, that I actually said I hated my mom. Um, she did um, go to jail. Uh, she went to jail for selling drugs to an undercover cop. Now, it was because she was trying to take care of us. She was, you know, a single mom and, and she didn't have any other options uh, at that time. But she did sell drugs to an undercover cop. We went and got arrested. She got arrested and we were split up. So throughout like high school and college and, and all of that stuff, I, I, I really, my, I, I hated my, my parents. I, I didn't have any love for them at all whatsoever. Yeah. And that's just how I grew up. I didn't, I didn't want to be like them. I didn't want to be around them. I wanted nothing to do with them. That's real, Tony. And I would love for you to share how did you begin to work through those emotions and what role did your faith play in helping you to do that? Yeah, actually it was only because of faith. I can be honest and say that there was no other way that I would have been able to even understand forgiveness and to move past it had it not been uh, for my encounter with God. So I was simply uh, transitioning probably from freshman to sophomore year at college. I had never grown up in church never been involved in any church. My mom never went to church service or anything like that. And it was in college that someone invited me to come to a church service. Uh, at the time, it was a church called, um, well, they call it the Love Corner, but uh, that was one of the nicknames of it. Uh, down in Champaign, Illinois. 
and uh, the Church of the Living God. And so I went and visited. And at the time, uh, the pastor had preached that day about forgiveness. And it was interesting because it was like he was directly looking and talking to me. And he talked about all of those folks that hurt you in your past, uh, that that in order to be forgiven of anything that I had done, right? Or we talked to the audience, but he was talking to me. If there's anything that I had done that I needed to forgive and not forgive people, because, you know, the forgiveness is really about me. It's about me healing and, and being able to move past what had happened to me. And it was interesting because, you know, he, he talked, you know, just like, again, it was, it was like, as if he was directing it to me, mentioned stuff with your parents, did something or somebody did something to you, you have to forgive them in order for God to forgive you. And it was in that sort of moment um, that, you know, age like 19, I believe, is where a little, you know, God started to work on me. That was that transformation moment. And eventually I ended up getting saved. And then that began my journey. So 19 years old in college at University of Illinois is when God started to heal my heart. And it's and it's a continue, uh, it's continue on. I, I have forgiven my father. They, 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 he passed away, my stepfather passed away, and then my mom passed away in 2016. But I would say on record that uh, eventually, because of God and because of spirituality, I did end up rekindling with my mom. And before she actually passed away, she actually um, dedicated her life to, to the Lord and she got saved. And she uh, out of her own words, said that it was based on her observation and seeing how God was using me. So it was the salt and the light. It wasn't that I preached to her. I didn't open up a Bible, but it was the the, the word that was in me. She saw that and she wanted that. And and God blessed her uh, with uh, extending her life a little bit longer to where she was saved. And she was ready to go. And she knew that she was going to heaven. So she said she was ready to go. And three days later, she passed away in her sleep. And I, there was a peace within me that I had made a connection with my mom and forgiven her. And we were able to rekindle our relationship. And most importantly, that she um, is in heaven now, well, smiling down. So That's amazing, Tony. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, it's, it took, a lot of work, I'm sure, to get there. And so I want to talk a little bit about the in-between because you had that moment in the church where God was sending a, mes a message to that pastor and that planted the seed. But there was yeah. a lot of work in between that needed to, to be done in order for you to get to a full place of forgiveness. What else helped you to get to that place? So just thinking a just a little bit again in college and then, you know, throughout life. So there's things that uh, what I can look back now and say, there's interesting things that happen, right? There's sometimes things that happen in life uh, and it could be catastrophic. It could be, you know, simple things, but there's things that sometimes will center us, right? Will to, will, where, where it will let us know if we're gonna lose, if we're gonna lose our relationship with God, or if we're gonna increase our relationship and our faith, and so again, graduating college or while in college, you know, just still growing and building and 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 having the word sort of instilled into me, there was something about me that I wanted more, right? Like this is thing the desire to want more, to learn more about God, and to to understand Him. So what's happening is. 
as I grew closer, right? It's like getting into a relationship. You start to understand the characteristic of a person and who they are. You can understand that. So as I started drawing near to God, he was drawing near to me. So what we was doing is changing the way that I think about things and how I respond to things over time. I started becoming more like Christ. Like, what would Jesus do? Like, we used to wear those bracelets back in the day. And so that sort of shaped me in the sense that in that timeline, right, like through college and in life experiences, my brother was killed when he was um, 21 years old. And, and that right there um, was a part that shaped me because then that's one of the reasons why I ended up after his death, I moved away. I moved to Atlanta. I just up and moved. I packed myself. I put a request in my job and I moved. So now I was sort of isolated in a wilderness, so to speak. And in that wilderness, you're either going to complain and murmur or you're going to trust God to supply all your needs. And I kind of needed that. My family relied on me so much. They put a lot of pressure on me to be, oh, Tony's the good one and he's always going to do good and do right. But me going to Atlanta, I realized that they can actually survive on their own, that they could fend for themselves. They didn't need me. And that was the beginning of me starting to understand who I was and really starting to to work on me and in healing me. I needed that. I needed that. I needed that that space. So I joined a church that I was being trained as a, a pastor in an AME church, actually. That started to develop me a little bit more. And then I moved, I heard that my mom, well, my mom and my grandmother had suffered a life-threatening moment. They were going to be, the doctors was like, hey, they're not going to live. And so I ended up, you know, eventually moving back um, so that I could be there with them in, 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 in their last day, so to speak. But God extended their lives a couple of years. Also, also in that period, I I did find what I thought was a life partner and I married someone, but unfortunately the marriage did not work out. That was very, very traumatizing for me in that particular situation because I thought like, oh, once you're a Christian and you're a godly man and you're doing exactly what God wants you to do, then these things should work out. But I I learned that just because you're a believer doesn't mean that everything works out. In fact, sometimes when you're struggling, to the point where you have to drop to your knees uh, to pray constantly. Uh, these are the moments where trials and tribulations help, you know, help to build character, help to increase your faith, help to see what kind of person you are. And in life, we have so many people that are believers and a lot of things happen to them. And this is, again, what attracted my mom. She couldn't believe. How is it that you're a believer? You're so faithful to God. And all these things keep happening to you with the divorce and losing jobs. I was homeless for a a period of time. Uh, And then there was a serious incident where I had a daughter. And at six months, my daughter experienced a life-threatening accident. And she passed out. She stopped breathing. And the Lord uh, allowed me to, I did CPR. And and the first two times, my daughter did not come back too. But the third time, I paused a moment and I said, God, please save my daughter. And I asked God, I said, take my life. I, I would trade my life for my daughter's life. And I went and did the CPR again. And my daughter came too. She did have to have surgery. She has a brain injury. Uh, and there was a lot of rehab and things like that. But what happened in that situation uh, was was very crucial over the next few years 
of just really being there for my daughter and really building that relationship. You know what I learned in that? One of the most important things is I learned about unconditional love. It was actually having a daughter, actually having a child, that I then realized my relationship with my heavenly father, how that works. Because I've often made mistakes, even as a believer. I've done things that are not pleasing to God, and I've sinned, and, and you know, we all fall short of the glory, and we're constantly growing and developing. But I can recall just using an image of what my daughter, right? If I'm like, hey, don't sit in that chair that way, you're going to fall. And then, of course, she doesn't listen and she falls. Now, my normal reaction would be to say, see, I told you so. But for some reason, because I had that relationship with God, I started to realize, like, no, don't address the issue. Make sure she's okay first. So I would pick her up and, and you know, hug her and make sure she's okay. Yeah, daddy, I'm okay. And then I would say, see, I was telling you not to do this, not because I wanted to be mean and I didn't want you to have fun and be adventurous, but because I didn't want you to be hurt and I could foresee that. And and so my love for my daughter was like, ah, look, this is how God loves me. Yes, I made mistakes and I did things that weren't right and I and I probably disobeyed, but God unconditionally loved me. And he would say these things that he wanted us to do. That's why I read the Bible. That's why I pray. That's why I meditate and try to hear from God. Because a lot of times I would pray and just go do what I wanted to do. A lot of times I pray and not hear from God, that, that I would talk more than listening. And I believe God gave us two ears so we can hear and one mouth so we can speak less and listen more. And so for me, that relate that was so crucial. And that, my daughter's nine. And so over these years, uh, when this this sort of relationship, the aha moment with God, that really was uh, during during the early years of my daughter, about when she was three or four years old. And I think right there, that has been the key, right? That we are going to struggle, but we still have to trust God and trust this process. But that really right there, just recently, I tell you, it, it really has propelled me so far that my faith is unmovable and unshakable at this time, no matter what. No one can tell me that God is not real and that God is not alive today. That's it, man of God. That's so good. And there was a lot that you shared, so it's hard for yeah, me to kind of pull from everything. But the one question that came to mind as you were talking is that you went through a lot, a lot of trials. Yeah. And I'm sure there were emotions that you were struggling with yeah. at that time. And as a man, I'm curious, yeah. what were some things that you were taught growing up around how to deal with your emotions, how to express your emotions? Were they helpful? Did they hinder you in some type of way? And did it change once you came to know Christ? Yeah, that's funny you asked that because, again, I mentioned like I was in sports and stuff like that. And I don't know if anybody ever played sports, these coaches can be on you, but you know, this, like when you're going through stuff and you hurt, right. And you can, you can break a finger and they'd be like, get back out there and play tough it up. Right. Like, and so growing up because I didn't have anybody to nurture me, right. Like I was in that survival mode. So, I mean, I just recall, you know, in terms of emotions, if I would share something with somebody and I say, Hey, please don't tell, and then they would go around and they'll tell, right? And it could be embarrassing and stuff. So I learned how to build this sort of toughness to where uh, when I see people hurt or harmed or whatever, I would try to build this toughness and say, well, I'm tough. 
whatever I'm going through, I can just push through it. I can push through it. I can push through it. So I hardly ever cried. I, I didn't know what really affection and emotion. I got confused what love was um, growing up, which caused me to have some uh, troubled relationships because I just I didn't you know know what love was really was. Uh, and so the emotions, I kind of lacked them or I was able to turn them on and turn them off. Uh, but again, because of that toughness, right? Because you got to be tough. You got to push through it. That's how I thought, right? What's interesting is, over time, and in really, uh, like I said, around the time that my daughter had her accident, that that moment, those moments of of of, uh, I I cried a lot, right? There's the times where I've been in prayer, and I'm asking God, why me, right? And God's like, why not you, right? There's times where I'm feeling where God has blessed me, and I was so shocked about it, like why me, God? And, and I would find myself being emotional. Um, even, even, even as an example today, I was praying and I meditated and I was like, God, I really need to hear from you today. I'm dealing with a lot. I'm, I'm asking God about a lot of things. I really need to hear from you and I need a word from you. And I sat there and I meditated and I listened. And then God gave me a scripture to read and, and he gave me Second uh, Kings chapter three uh, verse 15 and, and 16. And when I went to go read that, immediately I started crying because God gave me this name, the messenger, messenger. Uh, some years, this is a few years ago. I have it on my license plate. And I'm very, very emotional about it because I'm like, why are you using me to share this word? I'm like, nobody. But God is like, but, but I qualify you. I want to use you because of your testimony and because of that. But I literally will cry when I'm worshiping, when I'm in the presence of the Lord, I cannot stand up. Like I, I'm in the presence of the Lord and I will fall and I will begin to cry and, I, and it's uncontrollable, there's nothing I can do. But one of my good friends told me that tears are cleansing. And it's part of this thing where it's like, thank you God for choosing me, but it's also similarly like, I'm not worthy of this. And so it's that it's that cleansing to understand that my worth is not based on my past, not based on my family, not based on the people that look at me. My worth is based on Christ and who I am and whose I am. And he qualifies me. He believes in me. He trusts in me. He uh, has confidence in me. And he wants me to share these messages and, and use my testimony to help other people to grow. So so in the past, I was tough. I hardly ever cried. And now I cry all the time. It's like I could be watching something on the on, on a TV show, and and the next thing you know, I'm finding myself crying. And if I'm watching it with my daughter, I'm playing it off. I'm like, you know, trying to wipe my eyes or look up or do stuff like that. Cause she'd be like, "Daddy, you cry?" I'm like, "No, I'm tough. I ain't crying. I cry at movies when we go and see movies, you know, uh, uh, with her." I'm like, "Oh." So I can tell that God is cleansing me, right? And he's He's getting those old, like manly, like we got to be tough. That that that's so far, so far from from being true. You can be tough, and you can be a man, and you can still cry and show emotions. In fact, it's very healthy. 
That's right. And I appreciate you saying that, especially for the brothers out there who are watching today. There's some things that we have to unlearn that we were taught when we were young because expressing yourself and your emotions is a healthy thing. It's a necessary thing. And I'm curious, Tony, as to what role counseling might have played in helping you to discover the importance of being able to express yourself in a safe place. Yeah, that's actually good. I did mention that uh, after my divorce, I ended up seeking counseling and, I've, and I still attend counseling uh, to this day. Uh, so I've been in counseling for uh, between eight and 10 years now. Um, and I, I love it. I, I, I'm, there's no shame in it. I actually try to encourage all my friends and families to go. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's a culture thing, but a lot of people kind of shun it and don't like it. I specifically sought out um, counseling uh, from a Christian standpoint. So I have a Christian counselor. And and, and I like it because sometimes from a, a worldly sense, a counselor can say, hey, this is, you know, based on what they learn, they share that. But when I have a counselor that understands Christ, a lot of times I'm like, I get what you're saying, but tell me how Jesus would have done that. Tell me how this works with Christ. And like, and she's able to correlate it scripturally. And that's where my aha moment comes from. So for me, counseling was is a wonderful way to really help me not only to help heal, but to actually tie back a lot of the things that I do based on my past. So that one, that that time when I was growing up and my mom didn't show me affection and didn't show me love, all of those things I can now trace back to, you know, relationships and the things that I've done back to my childhood. And so it's really good to go back in a way and to try to settle those in some sense, to settle those differences, right? To not carry those bags, to be a, a bag man, as the song say, bag lady. I don't want to be that bag man. I don't want to carry all of that stuff because that gets heavy and burdensome and, and Christ should be carrying our yoke. And so again, counseling has really, really helped to, um, to improve uh, my healing and and now that's some of the things that I do. I I, I um, I'm a life coach to many youth that are former youth in foster care, and and I continue to to help them and to develop them and to be very careful and cautious on how I do it. And uh, and again, I encourage a, a lot of other folks to to seek counseling as well. Um, that's but that's funny. a part of the ministry that I believe that I that I provide is some sorts of healing and sort of counseling, but in a different way. Yeah. And let's, let's talk a little bit more about that, Tony, how God has able to been able to use certain things that you've experienced in your past as you submitted those things to God, to be able mm -hmm. to be a part of your current ministry. Talk more about that. Yeah. So <laughs> um, first of all, God has been able to use all of my testimonies uh, in some way. So whenever I walk into a room, I understand that that the Lord may have planted a seed uh, on someone. So I won't walk in a room and say, oh, everybody in here needs to be saved, right? It's their timing and it's up to God. It's not up to me. But God will place on my heart somebody, an individual or right, like in, the, in there, or say, or place on my heart, Tony, uh, you know, I, I want you to like your purpose right now is to engage with this particular person. Uh, so the ministry works in the sense of me meeting people where they are, 
right? Just having a conversation. How are you? Checking on folks, things like that. So doing things from a place of love, uh, like kind of love thy neighbor, right? But I had to love myself first, right? You got to love ourselves and then love our neighbor. So the healing, as I get it, this is what's interesting, uh, the model that I used to, as I'm getting healing and I'm waiting on the Lord for some things, I don't just sit on the bench and just wait. I actually go and do. So part of my healing, while I was struggling, battling through different things, and even, even as young as high school, when I was dealing with stuff with foster care, I found that that interestingly, people would ask me to be a part of stuff. And I would share my stories and my testimony. So it's interesting. I meet with people, I listen, and I find like their pain points and I find where we intersect, right? If somebody has an issues with being in foster care or issues because their parents are on drugs, I say, oh, my parents was on drugs. And then we talk about how they're emotionally dealing with that. And I share a little bit about mine. And so we kind of do this dance, this back and forth dance, but primarily I listen. And I learned that being a, a, in a, a uh, having a degree in, in communication, but I but also in ministry, that it's very important to listen and to show compassion and to love. So the ministry that I do is that it's, it's more of a compassion ministry and a ministry of grace and mercy. So many people that I know are like, Tony, I'm not living right. I'm not doing right, but I need you to pray for me. And I'll be like, no, let's pray together. So in a way, I'll pray for them, but I've sort of try to introduce them and build them little by little that they can do it. They, that that just because you're walking in sin and doing in sin, but if your heart is for God, God can start to heal you and turn you around. Also, I always use a, a ministry uh, thing is that that I try to tell people when I do work in evangelism and trying to share the word is that just because you have become a believer doesn't mean that you're going to stop doing what you do and thinking the way that you do. That it's actually God over time that does the correction and does the healing and transforms you. That's why from age 19 and now I'm 44, God is still working through some of the things. Now, there's a lot of areas in my life that that I'm free from because I just don't put myself in those certain situations with those things that might cause me to sin or spiral down. So I look at ministry as if God places somebody in your heart, it's not something that's going to be quick, fast, in a hurry. There's no microwave kind of service with God. There's no fast food, you know, line with God. He looks for us to build relationships and to show love and to develop people and encourage people over time. More like a crock pot. It's going to take a long time and you got to be patient and you got to constantly show love and constantly have mercy to help people to build and to break away from that trauma. That's what I've learned in myself. And then that's also how I see people and provide uh, that through the ministry that God has called me to do. That's really good, Tony. That's good advice, not only for people who are in ministry serving others, but I think that same advice applies to ourselves in in terms of accepting God's grace, that we don't change necessarily overnight, the things that we feel like I should have beat this issue in my life by now. Well, it does take time. Transformation does take time. Renewing of the mind does take time and work, and we can't do it in our own strength, right? So understanding that is really important. But Tony, one of the, the final questions I have for you is, is geared towards the brothers out there. Mm-hmm. If, if a, a guy is really struggling right now with issues, pain from their past, maybe unresolved childhood issues, as you described, 
what words of encouragement and advice would you give them? Yeah, I, I would, I would, I, the words of encouragement and advice, to be honest with you, is that um, you, you said it, right? We cannot go at this alone. I can tell you that just because any man that's a believer, just always think about this. When Jesus went into the mountain uh, top, the, the Satan Satan attacked him every single day. Uh, Bible gives us three examples, but he attacked him every single day, trying to trying to deceive him and trying to use the actual words of God, right, to deceive Jesus. So understand that if you try to do this alone, it's not going to work. But to identify someone, right, and a lot of times we don't know, but to identify someone, you've got to be able to work this through. I I have um, I journal, I go to counseling, I talk to other men or women in some cases, and and, and you got to be careful with that uh, because emotions can can kind of make things kind of twist up. But my encouragement would is to define a man, uh, get a part of a community of of like-minded Christians that have overcome things already. So for example, I'm a part of a men's ministry called the Crucible Project. And you can look that up and there's weekend retreats. We have one coming up at the end of September. But the Crucible Project is what men who have been hurt and who have shared their trauma and together, we work together to to improve and to increase and and we do it over time we just stand with each other and we encourage and if a man falls down we pick that man up and we brush them off but we also hold them accountable for growing we can't keep just saying the devil made me do it and the devil made me do it and i'm weak and i'm not strong right we change the way that we speak we have affirmations of faith we continue to try to grow in that respect so i would just say try to find a group or a person or a mentor or someone that can hold you accountable, but that can pray with you and that's not going to judge you, but continue to lift you up and still push you though. Because again, you don't want to be in that same space over and over and over while God is working through through your healing. That's really good advice. And I hope anyone who heard that takes heed to what you just shared. And if they need some encouragement, you provide a number of different things to your ministry. So where can they find you? What are some great things that you're doing right now? Yeah, I mean, immediately you could just uh, check, uh, you know, reach out to me on my Facebook page at Tony Lawler Ministries. I I post things there and resources and try to do encouraging things. But one of the uh, ministries that God just placed on my heart uh, that I'm actually working on right now. And, I, and in a few weeks, uh, hopefully I'll be releasing. Um, but under um, under a ministry that God has placed in my heart, a discipleship ministry, uh, Disciples for Christ. So that that's uh, coming soon. What, I, what I'll be releasing is 20-minute spiritual workouts, and I call it uh, cross-training. And so we'll be doing 20-minute spiritual workouts to sort of encourage us as believers to encourage us and to help us to develop in our faith. And these are going to be some of the things that the topics that all that God has given me, and they're going to be things that's going to help us to grow and develop in our relationship. So we don't want to be church members, but we want to be disciples. And we want, that's what God had called us to do. Discipleship means that you're actually drawing in and building a greater relationship with Christ not just sitting on a bench warming, uh, you know, um, being a sideline Christian. So that's something that's coming up 
and I look forward to it because, man, it's 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 been a, a journey. But I think God is really saying, Tony, we need that. We we need you uh, to get out there and to share this. I'm excited about it. I'm excited for you, Tony. You are doing some great things for the kingdom. And I'm glad that you always said yes to God's call for your life. So I just encourage you to continue to move forward in the direction God is calling you. And I just thank God for your ministry and for joining us on the show to bless our audience today. Oh, yes. Well, I appreciate it again. And as uh, the the name of the organization, Faith on a Journey, I tell you, it is uh, just so awesome. Uh, because that's exactly what it's required. You have to have faith in this journey that we call life. And, uh, and we're, you know, and so I, I appreciate it. And thanks for being, for calling me to be a part of the show. Thank you, Tony. And thank you all for tuning into today's episode. I hope it was a blessing to you. And if this is your first time tuning in, I hope it's not your last. You can become a part of our community by subscribing on our website, visiting us at faithonthejourney.org. Again, that's faithonthejourney.org. There you'll be able to take advantage of so many resources, including finding a Christian counselor, as Tony talked about, and how that can really help you to move forward on your healing journey. So I hope you take advantage of that. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to like it and share it with someone else who needs to hear it. But that's it for today. Thank you again for tuning in. Until next time, you keep your faith on the journey. I'll see you soon, family.